0: This is the Unplayable Podcast, Sam Ferris here and on today's episode we recap the Border gavaskar series which India won 2-1 after that amazing final day at the Gabba. Here to help us do that is former England international and Fox cricket commentator Isha Gua, but before we get to Isha, we chat to cricket.com.au senior writer Andrew Ramsey and Rambo, how about that series, one of the greatest of all time.
1: Uh, yes, good morning, Sam. Uh, it's, it is the morning after the day before and uh, the world seems a better place. I think we, we thought it was going to be because of what was happening in Washington uh, at the moment, but it's <laughs> been washed ha- be what's been happening from Washington and his teammates that's probably caused a bit of a, a spring in the step and a smile on the face, regardless of which side of the, uh, the tribal barracking you were on.
0: Yes, it was very impressive by uh, all those young Indian players and both sides really to put up such a great showing over four test matches. The result, 2-1 to India. Few people would have given India a chance coming to Australia, even fewer after they were rolled for 36 in Adelaide. But they've come back uh, a brave, resilient squad to win in Melbourne to hold on in Sydney and then to do the really unthinkable and, and beating Australia at the Gabba, which hadn't been done since 1988. So I asked Ricky Ponting last night. Andrew, if, uh, if he could believe it, he couldn't. Can you kind of believe what's happened over this past six or seven weeks? Um,
1: no, I can't really. If you had – it's one of those things, if you look at it in retrospect and you think someone came to you and said, all right, this is the India scenario, they lose Virat Kohli, the test – after they get bowled out for their lowest ever test score. In addition to that, they lose their entire frontline bowling attack, maybe a couple of members of their second-line bowling attack. They don't have a settled opening pair. Pajara doesn't score a 100 for the whole series. Do you think they could win? You'd have to say, well, no, you're clinically insane. That can't happen. <laughs> but. Uh, Not only have they done it, they've done it on Australia's home patch uh, and clinched it at a ground where they've never before won a test match. So uh, I don't don't think you could possibly believe that if you'd spell it all out.
0: No, you've done a good job there doing it too, Andrew. Uh, Look, uh, no one was more disappointed than Australian captain Tim Payne with Australia's loss. And here's what Tim Payne had to say after play last night about the series defeat.
2: We're absolutely disappointed. Um, Yeah, I think it happened throughout, even if you went right back to Adelaide. Um, whether it was with bat, ball or field, every time we had a chance to to go ahead of the game, we we let it slip. Happened a little bit in Sydney, obviously, with our fielding and then probably yesterday a bit with our batting. Um, We continually lost wickets when we were trying to put the foot down and and couldn't quite get a partnership together. And I thought every time India needed to do that or or needed a wicket, um, someone managed to to do it for them. So again, you just got to give them credit. Um, I think they won the key moments, um, just head them to jail. Like we, we turned up to Sydney on day five and and the Gabba on day five in as good a position as, as you would want to be in, I reckon, and um, and couldn't get the job done. So yeah, there's some things that, that we should have and could have done better. Um, but at the same time, I thought India were um, their batting group were were amazing in both those day fives.
0: All right, Rams. Uh... This one is going to go down in folklore as one of the great series. But where where does it rank? You cover the two thousand and five Ashes series. We know the two thousand and one Border Gavaska series in in India was uh, one of the ones that was was right up there as well. Um, this one's a four test series. There was a result uh, and the underdog won in in extreme circumstances. Where do you think this one's going to rank when it's all said and done?
1: Um, given that my memory only goes back to the early nineteen hundreds when I was a young boy. Um, mm-hmm. I think this probably has to be one of the greats, I think, like the, the couple that you mentioned, the 2005 Ashes, the the one tour to India, um, even Australia's most recent test series win in India um, under Adam Gilchrist's captaincy um, probably ranks as a reasonable achievement. But I think Ian Chappell said there's been three great test series over the last 60 years, the 60-61 West Indies in Australia, the 0-5 Ashes, and now this one. Uh, I certainly bow to his judgment given the amount of cricket he's seen and played. Um, Having been in England for the 05 Ashes, there's a lot of similarities just in the way that it twisted and turned and players got injured at key moments and heroes emerged that you'd never heard of, Gary Pratt being one. Um, (laughs) But I think this probably has to be better simply because India were away from home. They lost so many key players They lost the first test, not just in a narrow squeak, but in humiliating circumstances. Um, And they just kept finding ways to withstand a a full-strength Australia team. I mean, you can only say that maybe David Warner missing for the first two tests was significant for Australia. But I think if you put all those factors into the equation and the, the odds that they were facing and the quality of the opponent that they were up against, I think you just have to rank as one of the the great series wins and one of the great series. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hard to argue there, Andrew. Um, Where do we think it it went wrong for Australia? As we've mentioned there, firm favorites coming into this series. Ricky Ponting says, that uh, they lost the key moments, those big moments in each match, um, particularly the last three Test matches, where Australia won the toss in each game. That's another thing that has to be said. That India did it from the back foot, from um, from before ball one on those in those last three Test matches. Um, some of the turning points that we've kind of highlighted. Australia, after winning the toss in Melbourne, were bowled out for 195. Uh, that's kind of criminal winning the, winning the toss down there, and what's always been a pretty flat Melbourne wicket, even though that one did a little bit. Um, the collapse in Sydney, there were two for 209 to be 338 all out. And then Tim Payne dropping three catches on the final day. Two of those off Nathan Lyon and, and Richard Pant got away and almost won the game for India on day five in Sydney. And then in Brisbane, again, winning the toss and batting, there were three for 200 to be 369 all out. Um, probably not a big enough score given the strong position they were in. And then, perhaps the biggest one of all. They had India six for 186. And then these young guys, Washington, Sundar and the core, put on 123. And it took a little while too and just the way that they brought the crowd back into the game. Uh, and then to concede only a, a 30-odd run lead um, left them right in the game. So uh, those turning points, Andrew, um, are, are, we, are we missing any? And what do you think that, that uh, Australia couldn't come out on top on those big key moments, given they had a more senior experience side than the, the young team that India had to field?
1: Uh, that's a very good question, Samuel. If I knew the answer to that, I'd be uh, off working as a consultant, as a guru for sports teams around the world. Um, hmm. But I'm not. I'm, I'm here on this very esteemed podcast. So uh, there's a few intangibles in there, isn't there? Like in the past, teams that have come to Australia and have found themselves in positions like those ones you mentioned, those key turning points in matches, they've just been rolled over. Like, You've seen some pretty good touring teams come here that get themselves into reasonable positions in matches but just get steamrolled. And then by the end of the tour, they're, they're flat and they haven't got a, a shot to fire. Um, for whatever reason, this Indian team just refused to, to throw in the towel. Like they just would never admit that they were out of the game. They kept playing to win. Um, they kept putting the pressure back on. Australia's batting was perhaps you know, flaky. Like it just shows the reliance they had on, on Smith and, and Labashane probably to a less extent. But you could even argue that, um, as Tim Payne said after the game, you know, the, the win in Adelaide probably papered over a few deficiencies, to be honest. You know, if British if, um, if Shaw hadn't dropped Labuchin, you know, at a crucial time of the game there, they could have opened up a pretty big lead um Even not accounting for the fact they got bowled out for thirty six in a couple of overs um so they were sort of on in a dominant position in that game as well so if things had gone their way in adelaide they could have this could have been a a three nil four nil win um so there's been a, a few items along the way Australians haven't been able to take wickets when they needed to, which is unusual for them they've you know the bowling plans are obviously very good but um yeah, they just couldn't get people out. Uh, and in the end, they just looked like they'd run out of petrol by the, the final session of the day five in Brisbane. Um, and all the punches that they hadn't landed uh, had taken the sting out of them, and it was them that got rolled instead.
0: This is one of those unanswerable questions, but Australia had a pretty strong unit throughout the 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 whole test series. Uh, the bowling attack didn't change three or four of the batters didn't change under the top order moved around a little bit uh but i wonder if i wonder if actually bringing in those you know, those young players who were fresh who didn't have any baggage who um you know, would have been pumped to play their first test series in australia against what, what what was the number one team in the world i wonder if that actually helped them in a way even though they were um lesser skilled players than the first choice players but to bring in that enthusiasm and to bring in that um, that fresh player whereas the Australians are sort of dragging their heels but in the tour actually benefited the Indians instead of uh, hindered them. Uh,
1: I think it's a reasonable point uh, and in in the final analysis in the last hour or so in Brisbane probably helped them they had a couple of gun white ball cricketers uh, Washington Sunda really only came out here as a member of the white ball squad and apparently stayed on because he posed a bit of a resemblance to Nathan Lyon and so he was useful for a net bowling practice. Um, But having a couple of guys who were T20 players uh, in that final hour when they just took the game away was probably pretty handy. So you just wonder whether India by default have maybe set a a bit of a template for teams in future. Um, Australia did it a bit to win or retain the Ashes in the UK a couple of years ago, like they had what they called a squad mentality where you rotated bowlers through depending on who you thought was going to be most effective in what conditions. Um, India did it because they had to here, just bringing in fresh players who had no fear, who had a point to prove, who probably realized that when the, the first choice players come back, they won't get another chance. So they had to make an impression when they could. Um, so maybe now selectors have to start looking at these big touring parties and just rotating players through like who knows if michael nisa might have been a better choice as an all-rounder than perhaps cameron green or even as a specialist bowling option who could swing the ball a bit as opposed to mitchell stark who was clearly struggling by the end um maybe you just have to start thinking we don't just pick the team that we think on paper is the best one we have to look at who's a bit fatigued, who might come in and do a job in this test and then rotate out again. Um, There could be some interesting discussions around the selection table after this because of what India have done.
0: Yeah, and Justin Langer addressed the bowling attack and, and rotating the quicks after play on Tuesday in Brisbane. Uh, he spoke to ABC Greenstone, wrote his uh, little snippet of what he had to say about uh, picking those fast bowlers.
2: I'm really proud of the fact that those four guys,
3: they all, they all stood up for the whole series and would have been a brave man coming into this uh, Gabba test match and not select those four bowlers. I mean, would you have?
2: Well, it's not my job to do it. But um, would you have liked your time band. again?
3: It been, well, I would have done the same thing. What? Not tell me who you wouldn't have picked: Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, or Nathan Lyon when the series is on the line. Which one wouldn't I have picked? I would have picked them every single day.
0: Rambo. After a series loss on home soil, there there is often some turnover. Um, and you know, in the past, has been reviews and there's. Into all kinds of things, culture, team selection, the whole lot. Um, this one, there's a test tour, you know, a month away, and then there's the Ashes uh, next summer on home soil. Uh, are we expecting many changes? Uh, I just don't know if there's um, in the current climate. Given that people, the players are in bubbles, there hasn't been much shield cricket played in the, in the past six or seven weeks. Uh, everyone's in kind of white ball mode that isn't in the test bubble. Um, are we expecting any changes that are heading towards South Africa uh, and which will probably be a, a fairly large squad to cover all bases?
1: Um, you probably have to think there'd be a couple of changes just simply because Australia doesn't lose many test series at home and not uh, revise their planning or their ideas. Um, having said that, I'm not sure what the the options are because there's no one going to be playing Red ball cricket until certainly after that squad's, selected and maybe even after they've left I'm not sure when they go uh, but you have to think that they look at the way India played um, maybe they need someone at the top of the order that can soak up a lot of balls like Pujara did um, whether you have an opening batsman like a, a Sam Whiteman who's supposedly quite good at at leaving the ball and batting long periods of time or you try and look at someone who can slot in there higher up the order that can be the rock that they sort of build around. They just seem to lack that player that can, they've got guys who can score and score quickly when things are in their favour, but you just, there's no one who seems to be able to hang around. And if you want Stephen Smith to, to produce a bulk of your scoring, maybe you just need someone with him at the other end who can wear the bowlers down. Um, the other thing is conditions in South Africa are traditionally very similar to Australia. So you'd think, you think know, the big three quicks are the obvious choice. Um, Do they look at another spinner, someone who turns the ball the other way? And Mitch Swepson was in that squad, didn't get a chance. Um, They didn't bowl Labrachain hardly at all during the series, so it's clear they don't rate his leg spin too highly. Um, And I guess the other talking point is Matthew Wade in the middle order. He just was thrown up to open a couple of times. It probably didn't help his game, but then um, he didn't quite push on when he got a couple of starts. So whether they look at someone there whether Travis Head comes back into their thinking. A lot of talk about Ben McDermott, um, who's probably in that punishing high-scoring mode. So a few questions to be answered by the selectors. Um, And like you say, it's going to be a big squad, so they might have plenty of options. Um, And don't forget, Will Pukowski comes back into the planning as well. So, uh, yes, interesting. I'm not sure that uh, there'd be an easy discussion or two there will be a difficult discussion or two being had, I think, between now and that touring party being named. Mm,
0: yes. Well, we put this question to former Australia captain Ricky Ponting on the last Ricky's recap of the summer and asked him whether this Australian side will need to be overhauled. Here's what Ricky had to say.
3: No, I don't think it needs to be overhauled. I mean, coming into the series, was, you know, they were the number one ranked test team in the world. They've been doing a lot of things right Um. You know, if Cosby comes back soon, hopefully, you know, Green will stay there. The bowls will, you know, obviously all pick themselves up. You? you know, there's no there's no need to any panic, but they've just got to find a way to play better cricket, you know. I can't see how any personnel change really to that side's gonna change much. I mean there might be some talk about about Matthew Wade, like I said the other day, but um every other every other base I think they've got the best players in those positions. It's just about a matter of those guys playing better.
0: Finally, Rambo, um just on the on the series itself uh not only was the border gavaska trophy up for grabs and the Vodafone test series trophy whatever that looks like um there are also world test championship points available uh, looking towards that final which i think is going to be played this year but who really knows um anyway the the loss in in brisbane was very very bad for australia because it knocked them out of the top two spots for that final um now they're in third behind India and New Zealand. Uh, it's kind of a complex beast at the moment because they have to change the way that this, the ratings are uh, formulated and the way that the, the top two are, fin- are going to be picked because of COVID and the lack of series being played. But uh, from what I understand, I think Australia need to do pretty well in South Africa uh, to, to get back in that top two. I'm pretty sure New Zealand have played all their series in India have matches against England home and away. Uh, So I think it's a 2-0 or 3-0 result for Australia to get back into that that final two. And I guess that's another thing that uh, the players have to be aware of, particularly the coach and captain, that on that final day, Australia were pushing very hard for victory. But in the same sense, a draw would have been a a pretty handy result in terms of the World Test Championship. So they went from attack to defence fairly quickly. And uh, it's not often you see an Australian team hunting for wickets to all of a sudden go in defensive mode. But that's kind of what they had to do with an eye on the future.
1: Uh, Yes, this does. uh, When the ICC introduced this, they thought this might change the way teams approach test cricket and maybe just on that evidence, it has. Um, As you know, I dabble occasionally in a little bit of atomic physics and I do find that the uh, various fissionability rates of uranium isotopes is a little easier to understand than the world test championship mm-hmm. table. Um, but whether, you know, the that came into the thinking of Tim Payne when they were talking about the declaration on the, the fourth evening in Brisbane, like you, the fact that a draw would help their case to get to the championship final in the UK, might have convinced them to bat on a bit longer, as it turned out they didn't have enough runs anyway, but it might also have changed the way India played on the last day, like under normal circumstances, having lost you know a couple of early wickets and then a few more late in the day where they would normally a team would normally just draw the shutters, but they pushed on for the win and got there, so maybe it was the Test championship that convinced them they should approach it that way, maybe they were just that kind of team um but even then, like the way that the, the virus is going in the UK at the moment, maybe teams don't want to go there for the final. It's just you know, it's just, you might have dodge a bullet by missing out on it. It might be just sit this one out and maybe they relocate it and play it in the country of the team that finishes top. They could relocate it to New Zealand and play it at Mountain. Manganui or whatever they do, wherever they play Test cricket there these days.
0: Alright, Rambo, before we get into some of the best performances of the summer, we're going to have a chat with Ishigua about the series, Ajinka Rahane's leadership and what this might mean for the Ashes next summer.
3: Got him! Gone for the third time in this series. Pat Cummins with his second ball of the Test match and he removes Gill.
0: Joining us now is former England international and probably the sanest person of the Fox Cricket commentary team, Isha Gua. Uh, well, actually, probably Mike Hussey, but you're second place, uh, not far behind Mike. Uh, thanks for coming on. And just to start off with, can you believe what you've witnessed over these past four or five weeks with <laughs> India winning 2-1?
3: Yeah, it's been extraordinary, hasn't it? Uh, one of the best test series, well, certainly that I've ever witnessed. And um, speaking to... People that have watched plenty of cricket over the last sort of 50, 60 years, they think the same as well. Um, I spoke to my dad back home, and, and he said it's the best series he's ever seen. So um, it's just uh, it's just crazy to think that India will bowled out for thirty six. They managed to, to fight back at Melbourne, and then mm. and then hanging on for that draw in uh, in Sydney um, at one stage, going for the win, and then to be able to perform like they did uh, in in a final test match at the Gabba, no less. It was just
0: extraordinary. Why is it that Australia are always on the wrong side of these epic series? Like uh, (laughs) 2005, 2001 in India, even that one-off at at Leeds, Australia lose that game. Um, What's going on? Why is Australia always the villains in in this situation?
3: Yeah, I don't think you can look at it and say it's something they're doing wrong. I think it's just happened that this is the way it's fallen in this particular series. And yes, obviously, they'll have to take a good, hard look at themselves and, and what they did wrong. I don't think it's a coincidence that, that they lose really tight series. I think it's just a case of what what has happened in the build-up to this series to, to be able to lose in, in the situations that they've been getting themselves into. On many occasions, you would think that they were in a great position to win. And as Tim Payne said in the, the post-match, just being ruthless at key key times, and, and to be the best side in the world, you have to be ruthless at, at critical moments, and they just weren't able to do that um, in this test series. I think a lot of credit goes to India to to be able to pull off, you know, against all the odds. it this spectacular. Whether it's a case of how they perform against underdogs, I'm not sure, um, because in both situations, when you think back to Headingly and you think back to uh, yesterday. Both situations, you know, the opposition team were pretty much backs against the wall. I mean, Headingley was probably even more so. Um, and, and what happens in those situations psychologically to, to Australia and um, when they feel that they should be winning a game of cricket, um, that's something that they're going to have to reflect on for sure.
0: What have you made of of Virat There are probably no bigger boots to fill than that of Virat Kohli, and he's come in and he scores a hundred straight away. He leads the team uh, to two wins of the next three Test matches. He's never lost as India Test captain. Uh, what can you say about his performance this series? And I, I, you know, be a brave man to take the captaincy off off Virat Kohli, but geez, they've got a great deputy on their hands, don't they?
3: They really do. And as you say, two completely different characters, two contrasting. Styles, uh, incredibly assured, both of them, though. Um, Rahane, with a quiet confidence about him, steely determination, that's what they both possess as well. And the way he kind of galvanised this group, um, I think when you are the deputy as well, you do look to other people to, to try and contribute. And uh, I think that's what he was able to, to bring out of his fellow teammates, um, Incredibly courageous. He, he obviously led from the front in the Boxing Day Test. I mean, to be able to do that as a captain, you've just been handed the captaincy, so you've just been bowled up for 36. Yeah. Right over to you to turn it around, Jinx, uh, and he and he did that. And I think that that Test match just garnered a belief within that group. Um, Jasprit Brummer as well, he stepped up. Ashwin as well. Um, you know, two senior players within the side, they really stepped up uh, and you know really helped the group along for, for them to believe that they could pull off some some ridiculous performances. I think Ravish Astri also has a lot to do with it just in in the way he G's up his team. I think when he came to Australia it was about fighting fire with fire. And that's how you have to play when you go to Australia. It's it's you can't just let them let them bowl at you, let them let them take you down. You have to come back at them hard. Which is why I was actually really surprised Richard Pants didn't play that first test match. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think Ajinki Rahane, incredibly calm, um, incredibly relaxed, to garner that belief within the group. And um, I think it will be on Virat Poli to say whether uh, he he will want to continue. I'm sure he will want to. Um, but I remember what Virat Kohli has done for this india side um collectively not just on the pitch but off it as well in terms of building that depth with rabbi shastri you know they wanted a, a really strong bowling attack and if you look at how they performed and you know the guys that come in with the only five test match experience um i think you can really see that from from what they've built
0: yeah they always said that uh that T20 cricket was going to be the death of Test cricket and the IPL was an <laughs> extension of that. But, son, it's, un- it's made some of these players. You look at Washington Sundar and Shubman Gill. I mean, he looks like a player that's got 10, 15 years ahead of him. How much do you think that playing in the IPL in those high-pressure situations with some of the great players in the world uh, has helped these youngsters come in and perform straight away at the top level? Yeah,
3: it's been hugely beneficial. Uh, we said it yesterday in, in commentary just – how you get into these situations and you're thinking day five pitch fives and over in the past, it would be a really tricky case, yeah. but these players are just so fearless. They, they just don't fear anything. And that's partly because of, of the situations they come up against in, in the shorter format. And I actually think T20 cricket has helped test cricket when it comes to the fourth inning. If you look back to Ben Stokes at Headingley and, you know, Nathan Lyon was bowling into the rough. It was really difficult to, to face, we thought at one stage it was it was going to be tricky, and then he just pulls out this reverse sweep for six. Uh, I mean, you you can only do that um, if you've played a lot of T20 cricket and, and you have that belief in yourself to be able to pull off shots like that. Yeah. So um, it really has helped the game and and led to some really exciting finishes. and And captains now really have to assess, you know, what is a good score um, to. Try and leave uh, a team in the fourth innings in terms of Dangar Carrot, but also just giving themselves enough overs to, to bowl a team out, but also not too many that that's going to help the size try and chase down the runs. It's it's something that is part of the modern game now.
0: Yep, absolutely, and geez, it's going to be tough for your England side to come up against this Indian uh, this Indian outfit. I mean, this was a, a, almost a second string team with all the injuries and players unavailable. Uh, that's going to be one crack of a series, both home and away. Do you, Are you a little bit more fearful of India now, having seen what they've done out here in Australia?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think just the depth that they've shown in, in all facets of of their side, just the batting um, with the ball, you know, guys coming in and performing siraj has been a, a revelation for India, uh, just with the, the skill levels, but also I think, this india side are probably the toughest india team that have ever played just the tough nature that they came to this country with and how they battled through some serious war wounds um, you know there were bruised. you think about pajaras not yesterday he was hit nine or ten times and he kept coming out australia it was it was phenomenal to watch um so i think You add that to the depth that they have, it's a scary prospect, really. Um, This India side, we know how good they are at home, but to be able to win away from home is what you search for as a test team. To be the number one test team in the world, you have to be good away from home. And and they've pretty much got a squad that can cover all bases now, which, uh, yeah, it's a scary prospect for other teams around the world.
0: And just on England, I mean, having they would have kept an eye on on this series, no doubt. Uh, Do you reckon they're liking their chances a little bit more uh, next summer in the Ashes, having seen what's uh, unfolded this summer?
3: Uh, I I think that they will see areas where they can try and attack Australia. But at the same time, Australia is a side that can bounce back really well, so... When it comes to the Ashes, there is going to be no stone unturned and you you almost think that they're going to come at England even harder. So <laughs> that's where it, it could be really interesting, that first test match. I, I just cannot wait. Um, England will be desperate to have a settled top four or five, um, but the bowling attack, they'll just want to make sure that Jofra Archer is fit and uh, raring to go Mark Wood as well. Um and
0: Jimmy Anderson for that Adelaide Test match. Yeah, no, geez, we can't. Uh, we can't. We just finished one summer. We can't wait for the next one to to begin already. Yeah, uh, just last one, Aisha, and again, thanks for having a chat. Um, just the Fox Cricket coverage, outstanding stuff by everyone involved. Um, it looks like a lot of fun on there. How hard is it to keep a straight face and try and be serious and <laughs> and analytical when um, you've got some serious characters going on there? It looks like every time they sort of cut through to the uh, the commentary box. Uh, everyone's trying to hide their smiles and um, something's, something's going on. I actually saw Mike Hussey push you out of shot um, <laughs> when he was in the lab the other day. That was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, what, What's it like yeah. to, commentating with those guys and is it tough to try and be professional at all times?
3: Well, he was being super professional there, like yeah. trying to push me out the way and I <laughs> – um, yeah, and, and try and keep a straight face when he did that as well. Uh, yeah, we, we get on really well with each other. It feels like a family. Um, you know, trying to get the balance right as well of talking cricket in a really crucial moments, but also trying to keep the light-hearted nature of it, which is probably a bit more suited to Australia. Um, yeah, we, we try and get the balance. But it has been, you know, it's been an interesting series by way of quite a lot of the time on commentary you'll have one person who's in melbourne another person in sydney you've got harsha in india and being able to navigate that with the, the headsets that we have um you know I, I think we did the best job that we possibly could um you know with delays and everything like that so hopefully the the viewers um enjoyed it but also uh, yeah, they, they kind of understood where we were coming from in terms of just trying to navigate navigate everything. And yeah, I think there were, there were a couple of times where we talked over each other, but um, that was purely because it was just it was quite difficult at times to, to get that thinking right. Um, but yeah, just in terms of the team, I think it's so important to have a blend of personalities on a cricket coverage, and I, I think we do have that at Fox. Yeah. Um, it's really important to get different perspectives on the game. And, and represent the, the viewers as well um the viewers want to ask certain questions and hopefully we do that through our coverage um, it is about having fun it's been a really difficult time for, for a lot of people um around the world with the pandemic and and just to try and lighten the mood and bring a smile to people's faces that's that's what we're trying to achieve and you know it's it, it's been tremendous work behind the scenes by by everyone logistically it's been a a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, but to, to be able to put out a coverage and, and do a decent job of it, you know, I think everyone's pretty proud of it. So congratulations to everyone that was involved and and, and to everyone that covered the, the Test match because it, it has been challenging times um, and we were re- rewarded with one of the best series that's ever happened. So, yeah, fantastic.
0: It was great. Before we let you go, can you just give us one Fox Cricket commentary warning story that that we can that you can share? <laughs> is, there, is there one that sort of springs to mind?
3: Oh, you put me on the spot here. Warning. Well, I'll tell you one that was I found hilarious the other day that just, I couldn't stop laughing was um, when I was on with Junior and Binger and we were talking about how many times Steve Smith touches himself in terms <laughs> of his his free. Uh, pre-step-up routine, and yep. um, we were going through the numbers and and then I said, oh, the number of times he, he touches his body and his pads and all that, his, his, he must have a fair few set of gloves um, because they'll probably just wear away.
1: All right, June, over to you. There's one, top of his helmet, Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten.
2: 11, 12, 13, 14, 15,
1: 16, 17, 18, 19, get 20, even 20. 22, I reckon. Nine. Oh, it's Three, 20, 21, 21 22, 22, 23, 23 24, 25,
3: 26. <laughs> That's why he carries around like 30 players of gloves, because they wear right. away so quickly.
2: Well, he... <laughs> Well, he'd be getting a bit of moisture on those gloves as well. <laughs> yeah, we might have missed a few too. Could have saw him short there, maybe close to 30. I think his strike rate's about 25 per delivery. And then
3: we cut to a shot of pitch side, and there were about 10, 10 12 pairs of gloves pitch mm. side.
2: Here's those yeah, gloves. are all his gloves. Wow, no. he's in for a long dig. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> 13 there.
3: We had a moment of silence, and then Junior just goes, in only in the only way he can, he goes.
1: An octopus coming in next, haven't we?
3: <laughs> the timing of it was amazing, and I just lost it. So yeah, we, we have plenty of moments like that as comedy commentary box. Junior is uh, is one of those people that can just say a line, and we will just have you in stitches. Um, Warnie as well. I mean, he is just such a, a an amazing character, um, and. It almost, you know, you kind of get a glimpse into what it might have been like in a dressing room when you're kind of hanging out with the guys and you're pre-going on air and you're sitting around watching the cricket on the sofa. It's, I just feel so unbelievably grateful to, to do what I do. So, yeah, it's it's, it's wonderful.
0: Oh, fantastic stuff. I know Steve Smith calls everyone a pelican, but maybe he, people should start calling him the octopus. That's pretty good from my yeah. Well, thank you so much for having a chat. Um, loved hearing you this summer and uh, can't already wait for, for next summer. So uh, thanks again.
3: Yeah, thanks, I appreciate I um, appreciate the chat and, uh, yeah, congratulations to you and your team in, in putting out some amazing content and, yeah, look forward to the Ashes.
0: Rams, let's, uh, let's finish with um, some of the standout performances of this series. And we'll start with the bowlers. And it was a bowling-dominated series. Um, lots to choose from. We've cobbled down a couple here. But why don't you uh, let us know what you consider to be one of the, the best bowling performances of the series?
1: Um, well, yes. You know, I've had the research team on this uh, since day two of the series. That they had first day off, obviously. It was a bit of a work-to-rule thing. Um and the most remarkable thing they came up with was that for all the bowling domination that happened throughout the course of the summer, there was very few bowlers who took a fifer. I mm. think Josh Hazelwood got a couple, and it wasn't till Mohammed Siraj got five in India's second innings in Brisbane that they'd produce someone with a, a bag of five. So it's uh, for a game that a series that was so bowler dominated, it's pretty remarkable that the wickets were so evenly spread. Um, but having said that, there were some incredible bowling spells and bowling performances. I think Jasper at Boomer um, at the MCG was quite a, a standout. Um, there was a couple of spells that Ashwin bowled that were kind of game-changing in a way. Uh, but just for sheer novelty, the value I've gone for Josh Hazelwood's five for eight in Adelaide, which he said he couldn't believe. Most people who saw it said they couldn't believe, like just to be able to land the ball. As regularly as he did, always find the edge, always have a catch taken. Um, I think that was the uh, the bowling effort of the summer for me. And his it was top by his run out. I thought at the SCG, which is not a bowling effort, I know, but you know, it's one time he did hit the stumps. He did it at a pretty crucial time of the game. So yeah, he gets the crown from me.
0: What about the batters, Andrew? What are we thinking with um, uh, some of the some of the performances? I think a handful of hundreds to choose from, but uh, some of the the better knocks and more impactful knocks were the ones that just fell short of three figures.
1: Uh, they were probably the ones that end up turning games, didn't they? Um, once again, you know, credit to the the hardworking members of the research team. I think this is in test series of four matches or more played in Australia. This has been. The least number of individual hundreds since the 1901-02 Ashes, I was told. Uh, just the three of them: um, Smith and Lubbershane for Australia, and Rahane was India's sole century maker for the series. But um, as you say, there was a lot of individual knocks that got close to a hundred, um, and whether we you know, discount those because they weren't centuries, I think that's a bit of a bit unfair. Um, certainly. You know, it would have been, wouldn't have been a test century if Steve Smith hadn't scored a century, um, a test series of a Smith century. It wouldn't have been uh, atypical if Marnus Labashain, given that he got incrementally closer and closer from Adelaide to where he's making 40s to 70 in Melbourne to 90 in Sydney. And, um, oh sorry, 70 in the first innings in Sydney. Um, but then I think the two innings that probably were the, the series defining were Rishabh Pants in Sydney where not only did he keep India in the hunt for you know, half of that final day I don't think they would have batted out the day without that innings, it sort of put the Australians on the back foot, they changed their tactics at one stage I think just before lunch they had five guys on the fence to him and they were you know 300 in front pushing for a win on day five, it was extraordinary the the, the pace at which he kind of changed the, the narrative of the game and then on that final day in Brisbane that was just an extraordinary innings the way it was kind of crafted he started slowly and then when they needed to put the foot down he just he just went but even in the last hour and he was still knocking the ball into gaps and running hard rather than trying to hit every ball to or over the fence um and then you know he's left batting with this inexperienced tail and the final 20 minutes or so, um, he just took it all on himself to to get them home and he did, you know, hitting the winning run. So I think he, even though he didn't post a three-figure score, his two innings in the last two tests were probably the most influential in the the outcome of the series. It's full, it's down the ground, it'll be at least one. Saini, he's got an injury with the groin, it goes! Of fans all around the world.
0: All right, Rambo, that's our wrap up of the Vodafone test series uh, and what a series it was. Um, how are you going to reflect on this, Rambo, in 50 years' time? You know, when you're uh, writing your fifth book and telling everyone about you were there for that moment, you've got a few to choose from now.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's just every 15 years or so, one of these great series pops its head up. So I'll be looking forward to the next one where i'll be reading your reports of it or someone will be reading them to me given my advanced state of decay by then um but this i mean this has been a remarkable series probably even before they bowled a ball given all the, the biosecure bubbles and the, the protocols around travel and reporting and everything so i think if you took that out of the out of the equation just looked at it as a straight cricket series you go that wow, way that was extraordinary but throw in all the other bits and I don't think we'll see its likes again Samuel you can quote me on that this will never be repeated
0: that's it for the unplayable podcast don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode we're going to be back in two weeks to preview the big bash finals but until then for all your breaking news live scores and video highlights head to cricket.com.au and the CA live app